Matt, welcome to the podcast. So great to have you here. Um, would you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. So my name is Matt Stone, and I'm a photographer and videographer from the UK in Wiltshire. And I am a photographer in the cycling and triathlon spaces, and that's the area that I mainly work in, but I do do work in other areas too. Uh, but it's definitely the area that I enjoy the most, and I, I love working with brands and working with cyclists and sports because that's something I love. Did you grow up uh, with a passion for cycling, triathlons? Uh, I would say slightly towards my later life. So I'm currently 22 years old, but I would say from about 15, I started cycling and I've always done sport and found that cycling was what I would go to in my sort of off seasons from playing rugby and using it as a training device and just more of a, a step away from the competitive side and just from going out and enjoying riding. But I've definitely grown a love for cycling through photography, definitely and now more videography too. So yeah, I really do love cycling and it's not something I do loads of now, but I'm trying to get back into it. That's one of the things that I noticed is that your cycling films really highlight the tranquility and sort of the, the peaceful nature side of cycling, just kind of a get out there and, and experience the adventure. I'm going to jump right into your latest cycling film just because I'm so excited about it. And it's so awesome. I watched it again last night. Um, so it's the Rafa, Rafa festive 500 passion to pedal, a cinematic cycling film. Um, congratulations on the film. Thank you very much. I mean, it was a great project to, to take part in. So that's something that I've, I've really, really looked forward to creating because I've always wanted to make a film that really focused in on that cinematic side of it while also documenting a story behind it. So I came up with the idea of creating a, another film just before Christmas and thought that I would try and contact a cyclist and I came across Paul who I've sort of known in circles locally to me and I dropped him a message and instantly he was like I'd, I'd love to meet up and chat and talk through some ideas and so so we did um we met up and we ended up speaking for about two and a half hours and I think I got a parking ticket on the day as well because we were we were parked way too long but we uh we ran through some ideas and in my head the festive 500 from Rafa was something I'd like to do and I was wondering whether he was partaking in the challenge and for those that don't know what the challenge is, it's a uh, 500 kilometer ride from Christmas Eve to New Year's Eve. And you can do it on any bike in any way, shape or form. And a lot of people take part in it. Because I think Rafa have been running for it, running the challenge for about 10 years now. So it's it's a big, big thing that thousands and thousands of people take part in. And I know Paul had already completed it five times in previous years. So that's quite impressive. And... So I brought that idea to him and he instantly lit up when I said it and I could see ideas wearing in, wearing in his head. And I think it was his idea to to take on the challenge and utilize all the different bikes because he's a man that's cycling through and through, so passionate. And, and he has seven bikes in his flat and he really lives and breathes cycling. So it was the perfect person to have asked, really. Yeah, th that... No, that's really interesting. So the Festive 500, did that idea originate um, in England relatively near to you? I, I'm unsure. I, th I think Rafa, the owner, is British, I believe. And I believe he set up the challenge. Um, 
I think I read about 11 years ago and I think it's spread worldwide. Mm-hmm. I know there's people all over the world that take part in it now and and it is in the tens of thousands that partake that are crazy enough to take part in across that period because I know for a lot of cyclists it's not a huge distance but it's more the time periods of are your families crazy enough to let you go out cycling on Christmas Day and and during New Year's and when it's meant to be more of a holiday period. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a good point. The 500 kilometers or or around 310 miles or so. <clears throat> I mean, it's definitely a big week uh, or a big eight days of of cycling, kind of pushing the limit of of what I would call amateur <clears throat> amateur cyclists. Excuse me. But but the nature of the festive 500 is. Um, I guess I've always kind of looked at it from from a little bit far away, but it it seems like a, a fun, almost quirky kind of ride. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah. yeah, I would say so. I think a lot of people go out and try and do it in creative ways, and and a lot of people document their their experiences as well. And I think it's about it's about enjoying riding as well. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. It's about just getting out there and doing it because some people will go and smash it in one go and do it in 14 hours and others like to split it up into 60 kilometer sections it just depends really how you want to tackle it mm, mm. and that that was something that i was curious about is that you brought the idea to paul um that the fest of 500 would make a good narrative or kind of story arc for this film yes yeah, so I approached him with the thought that if he was doing it, it might be an idea for the film. And I was a bit apprehensive because I wasn't sure whether if he was partaking, if we'd be able to film over that period. Because mm-hmm. as I said, it's it's a busy Christmassy period for families and things. And we ended up deciding that it would be logistically okay. And we both didn't have much work on over that period because of it being the holidays. So it kind of worked out perfectly and we planned it very quickly from mentioning it i think we were we were filming two weeks later so it was it was definitely a quick turnaround and that's um yeah no and that and then that's really interesting um the idea of riding it with six different bikes so that's it sounds like that that was kind of what paul or the style that he was almost already planning on um i know any cyclist if you kind of ask them how many bikes um, they have or, or how many bikes they need. It's always the, the, the old joke, right? Is always the, the number of bikes that you have plus one more. So it's a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> right? I thought it was really cool to highlight all these different styles of riding. Um, now it seems like the film is like kind of more of the, from a strategy standpoint, uh, I guess I'm just interested cause I'm, uh, getting more and more into this, into this film, uh, video world that it's really centered tactically around one big interview with Paul. And then you kind of wrap all of the events, all of the days kind of around that one structure. Is that kind of what you were going for in your mind before you had this planned out? Yeah. So I, I had thought about whether we would film the talking, the, the talking section before we completed the challenge, but I decided that actually we would, we would film across the eight days that we did film on and then do the filming after. So we could sort of, jump back to those experiences but also me and we'd spent a lot of time together across that period so we sort of got to know each other quite well and I feel like it makes that that talking section a bit more comfortable after if you do it after getting to know each other and I feel like that really shows in the film Paul talks about his experiences his life and 
and he's very comfortable talking and he's very, he talks very well. And I think it would have been a different outcome if we decided to do it before before all of the writing had taken place. But I think it ended up coming out really well. I'm happy that we did it that way around. Mm, that's a good uh, good strategy. Yeah, because you, you yourself actually jumped in a few of the rides, correct? <clears throat> that is correct. Yeah, we so the first day was a ride that he was going to do the biggest amount he could. So we did 225 kilometers on the first day. And we left at 3 a.m. And he did it with a friend that morning. And I ended up driving in the car with someone who was driving me while I was filming. And we would just chase them, pick them up at different places, film where we could. And it was more of us chasing them on the first day, doing as best we can to, to catch up with them, get the drone set up before they whiz past us. Because that's one thing we really experienced in this whole week was when we're driving with them, you're fast on the bikes, you're very quick. And to keep up with them and to be able to pull up, set up a tripod and a drone. It's not, it's not as quick as you think to be in the car and they're definitely pretty efficient on their bikes. And then the next day was Christmas day and I did go out with them on that ride. It was just a morning ride, just a short one. And I had my camera over my shoulder uh, on a camera strap sort of precariously balanced on my back and I would cycle ahead, film a few bits and then join back with the group and, and that, that was the first day of riding, and that was a bit of a learning curve because I was getting a lot of spray up my back because it was raining, the camera was getting covered in mud, and just sort of the logistics of that was something I really tried to consider uh, as best I could. Um, but then the other day that I did ride was the day on the gravel bikes, which was the fourth day of riding, and that was – I had a bag on my back, and I went, went out with six other people, and I would stop off, get my cameras out, get my drone out, and – get everyone just to ride up just different sections that they all know really well anyway, because they ride so frequently. So it was great having a group with us that day because everyone was throwing ideas around and everyone's really excited to be out filming. And it was just a good fun day out just capturing as much content as we could. And everyone loved having the drone follow them. And it was really fun. That, uh, that must be really difficult though, between um, kind of you riding up ahead right having them pass you you catching up uh, a pretty exhausting day you must be a, a pretty strong rider um and then too it's interesting to hear that you didn't necessarily or it sounds like you didn't necessarily know the route beforehand or kind of scope it out it sounded like everything was a bit more fluid or or on the fly yeah that's correct especially with the the gravel day i didn't really know much of the ride i knew a few sections and i'd spoken ahead with with Paul about some ideas of where we could film uh, that he had and he knew, but a lot of it was on the fly and things we saw and different sections and ideas that people had. Um, I would say on the strongest rider, it was a pretty tough day for me because they're all very strong riders and keeping up with them with 20 kilograms on my back of camera gear was, was relatively tough, but it, I got through it. But yeah, no, it was definitely uh, planned in some sections and then others on the fly. And, and the other one, the first day was was as planned as best we could as I knew Paul's route and I had that loaded up and I'd I'd search sections that would be really nice for that because that was definitely a fast-paced day. Mm, mm. And I think you couldn't have chosen a better subject for this film. I mean, Paul seems like a great guy, um, kind of integrated in the community and trying to bring cycling, um, bring awareness to cycling and, and bring kind of cycling into the youth. Is that one of the reasons why you chose specifically to highlight him? 
Yeah, I, I've seen what Paul creates and he lives local to me and I see that he has this cycling club where he teaches quite young riders to get out on road bikes, which isn't something you see, at least not here, that common. He's he's very passionate about just getting people out on bikes and and getting them to know how to safely ride and to enjoy riding. And I think you see a lot of people out on mountain bikes and less teaching for young kids and road bikes. I think that really pushes the sport, especially for me when I was younger, I didn't didn't really know any avenues of getting into that as such. And I think he's bringing, bringing that to the area and I, I can see him doing that a lot more. And he's, he's so passionate, whether it's through the events he does or the coaching and it's really, really great subject to, to have used. Mm, really cool. Really cool. And I also liked, I just like, I always like when people have such a wide range of bikes. And, and in this case, I guess I, ref, I would refer to it as the final bike, the commuter bike in London, kind of the folding mm-hmm. bike, which was a really cool, uh, a really cool final sequence of him. Uh, it looks like getting on the subway, going into the city and then riding to, uh, riding to, is that the first uh, Rafa store? Uh, I believe I I would assume it probably is. Yeah, it's it's the one in central London, and so so for that day it was really exciting because I also they're Brompton commuter bikes, and I also got to borrow one off of of a friend as well, and so we both had the Bromptons, and I'd never ridden one before, and I was just amazed at how fun, how quick they are, just to to quickly pack up, run onto the onto the tube, and onto the trains, and and go in and out of shops. It was so fun and. And just experiencing London in a different way was was really great for me. I we'd racked up about twenty miles in the ride, and we didn't even feel like we were riding because Paul knows London so well. So we were just following around, us jumping off, filming, jumping back on the bikes, going to different areas, and and then finishing off at Rafa as well was was something we'd we'd said we'd really wanted to do. And he did officially finish his five hundred kilometers outside the store. And we really wanted to make sure that was authentic because. We wanted it to work and he timed it. And it, that even that logistically was really impressive because he had planned all of his riding so accurately that it would be exactly outside the Rafa store. And that, that was great from Paul because his, his logistical planning was brilliant as well within the film. It wasn't all me. I definitely have to give him some credit there. Well, he seemed to really know, um, he, he seemed to really know like, which bikes he wanted to to ride which sections i think the big section was done with his road bike the first day is it was it around 220 kilometers or so yeah 225 i believe yeah that was the first day and then i think the second day was around 25 kilometers and then the next day was on his indoor trainer bike which was i think he must have done about Mm. 70 kilometers that day and then the gravel ride again was about 70 and then I believe we had the, yes, we had the day where we did two bikes in one day, actually. So we had his other uh, time trial bike. He just did a short section on that as he is going into a, a season of actually competing on his time trial bike. So it was really interesting to to see him out on that bike for the first time. And as he'd recently bought that one, and it was really cool to, to film that because we used the car that day where I would film on the back and that, that was something I've always wanted to do. And the shots for that, I was really happy with. And then we had his, uh, his more of his hill climbing speed bike later on that day. And we got a bit of rain, but it, it ended up being okay for that. So yeah, it worked well. Uh, during the, during the time trial section, I felt like, right. I had to remind myself that like, 
you know, I was watching a YouTube video. It felt like um, like I was watching kind of the Tour de France or something like that as filming <laughs> the riders. So it was a great angle. Uh, yeah, I really like that shot. <laughs> Uh, and that's, I feel like that's a really smart way to do it, to get the, a big chunk out of the way, um, right up front, those kind of 220 K, uh, on your road bike, something that you're, something that I'm sure he's probably, um, very comfortable riding and then kind of moving to a lot of these more, uh, obscure bikes, or I don't know, I know I've got a TT bike myself and it's, uh, I'll be the first to admit it is extremely uncomfortable to ride. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think he was going to do 225 kilometers on that one. It was uh, it was just a short one for that. But yeah, he did mention that it's pretty uncomfortable and all the adjusting as well and making sure it's it's really perfect for it, it was was there as well. So that's um, but going back and I know I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but going back to the to the Brompton to the city bike. Um, so it sounds like, it sounds like that was your, the first time you had a, you had the chance to ride a, a sitting, uh, a folding bike and in London, no less. Uh, how was it, how was it with the traffic? Well, it was, it was a busy day. I mean, being during, during Christmas, obviously it's very busy in London and it was actually, it wasn't as scary as you thought. Cause I was on Paul's wheel and I was just following him around and we're wheezing, we even, swerving in and out of traffic and and just trying to find gaps it was really fun and quite enjoyable i'm not not too scared about those things but it was definitely definitely on the brakes here and there and and finding gaps where you can and and jumping around down all the pedestrians as it's very busy and but it was good to have paul because he knows where he's going so you don't have to worry about that side of it really i guess and then and then too i think i saw i caught a little bit of it in the film is it is it that in London um, bikes are allowed allowed to use the dedicated bike lane as well? Yes, yeah, I believe so. So you can. There's lots of dedicated bike lanes around London in different areas. Not everywhere, but then I think it's just mm-hmm. bikes that can go in there. Pedestrians don't tend to walk in them, or they do sometimes. But you're you're pretty safe with going through those, and then you get to see different areas as well. That's cool. I was, uh, uh, for, for a few years, I was a bike messenger in, in New York city. I feel like the, I, that, that riding through the streets of New York would be very similar to kind of riding through London. Um, uh, yeah. chaotic, but, but organized is maybe the way, the way I would phrase it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's such a cool, I would say definitely was one of my favorite days I've had out on a bike was, I said this to Paul afterwards. I was like, I really enjoyed just seeing london in a different way if you're if you're just going to london and you're visiting mm. you're walking around or you're taking the tube everywhere you don't see everything the way you do out on a bike because you're just you're going past things that you miss just being on the underground all the time and you really get a feel for the city and just stopping off at a cafe and sort of slowing down the day i felt like as much as you're going fast on the bikes it's not as waiting for tubes waiting for trains it's it's, it's quite relaxing in a way as well as well as energetic while going around all the, all the cars and the pedestrians. Right. Right. I like that. I like that description. Right. And I, that's what I always tell people, you know, as long as, as long as you're comfortable or, or reasonably comfortable with the traffic, uh, mm-hmm. it's actually a quite, quite nice way to see a city. Um, and it sounds like you got to see a different side of London. Um, so now are you, are you, uh, are you in London a lot for work or are you, it sounds like you're living kind of outside of the city. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm around an hour and a half away from London. I go to London probably every couple of months for not for loads of work. Sometimes just on the outskirts if there's if there's like a lake or there's lots of events that I cover that are sometimes in in the direction of London. But there's not much that happens too centrally. So I don't go to London that often, but I'm not too far away. But I'm far enough away to not not have to worry about the busyness too often. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. And that's, um, I've never, I've never taken uh, a folding bike on a subway or a tube, but I always feel like, I always feel like once when you have like that option, it seems so convenient at the time, um, or such a great experience, I guess, rather than, rather than I've, I've pulled on a, I've pulled on my full bike before. And it's always, uh, it's always a challenge, um, to get that in, in a subway, I guess. Yeah, I guess, and they're actually quite heavy as well once they're folded up. So, so weaving in and out, and if you've got to walk to to where the tubes are and and stuff, it's pretty it's pretty heavy to carry. But it's it's so good that it just goes down to the size of a briefcase, and you can tuck it between your legs if it's pretty rammed. Because I know that day we the the trains were were very busy going into London, and we we just had them between our legs and sort of squeezed up in a corner because we couldn't find a seat and. And it was perfect. So if we'd have had the big bikes, I don't think we'd have got on and we'd have probably missed our trains. So it definitely worked in our favor. Really cool. Really cool. Um, and then I've noticed in the in the two films that you've you've released on, on YouTube, both of them bring up sort of the positive effects of, of cycling uh, in relation to health. And, and in, in this one, in specific in um, in your latest one specifically in relation to mental health is that done consciously or is that just happened to be the the riders that you chose to focus on it's it's definitely something that's come up naturally and it's not something we've targeted but i feel like when when they're comfortable and if someone's experienced something they they do tend to to share and feel like lots of people have experienced things and if if there's something that they love and like cycling they use as their sort of release i feel like it makes sense when people start talking about those sides of things and the benefits it's given them after after being able to use a sport to help them better health mentally or physically as so many people do and it's never been something we've initially targeted but it's something that's naturally naturally come out and it's it's great to see as a lot of people resonate with those sides of the stories and when someone's comfortable sharing their experiences i feel like people really engage with that person a lot more and and they feel like they know them and, and it's quite a nice personal touch to the films, but it's never really the direct direct meaning of creating the film as, as such. Just just experiences of cycling really, which can be anything. Mm, okay, that's interesting. So you're from a from a stylistic point, then I guess you when you kind of sit down and are are ready for these interviews, it sounds like you're not a hundred percent sure what's gonna come out. Yeah, no, definitely. It's not. It's never too heavily scripted. It was more of a let's let's naturally see what flows out and not make it feel too too scripted and too too written out. As as I don't feel that tells a story well, as well. And as much as all the clips are edited and and put together in a, in a sequenced format, I just let the person speak and and speak their mind really and speak their experiences. And, and that's when you get the best stories. I find you, you get that natural conversation and I might be having a conversation with them the other side of the camera, but you don't hear me. You just hear them and their passion for whatever they're talking about. 
Mm, yeah, that's really interesting to see. And I guess it, from that from that standpoint, it's really valuable that you in in the case of like Paul, right, that you spent the week uh, riding with him before the interview just to get more comfortable and uh, that kind of thing. I find yeah. I find on long rides, right, you, you start to, to form a bond with with different riders and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, just just really you've experienced going through whether whether it's an intense ride or just a fun ride. You've you've had all those experiences, and that really helps just to build that bond. And I, I think that's what cycling really really helped for the film for me because we went out and spent so much time. Whether it was with the groups, we went out and with Paul, and and it was it was probably a good. 30 40 hours across the week of, of just being together whether we're planning or filming or traveling it's, it's a lot of time to spend with people mm, mm, yeah absolutely and i i also feel like you know kind of kind of you highlighting the 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 release or the kind of the mental clarity or the rejuvenation aspect of cycling that kind of Paul was was mentioning really pairs well with your style of of filmmaking right where you have kind of like these big sweeping drone shots and kind of this like real beautiful uh cinematic cycling so it it, it really it really pairs well i guess is um one of the aspects of the film that i like now Paul mentioned um, that he had done some longer racing as well. I think he mentioned the transcontinental race pretty quickly. Have, yes. have you thought about filming? Oh, have you ever, have you thought about filming something um, like a bigger project like that? That, that would be a big dream of mine. I think to be able to, to cover such an event and where, where, when Paul did his TCR, I, he's someone that documents a lot through his social media. So, I actually watched him him share his experiences and then completing it. And it's so cool to see that their view from it. And I'd love to be able to document it and and just all of those different days because I know they go through so much. And that's that's a good couple of weeks of, of riding and different terrain and different experiences and weather. And I'd, I'd love to be able to to find a way of being able to do that. Obviously, it's a lot of logistics and it's a lot of planning and and does end up costing a lot, but that's definitely something I, I'd like to aim for in the future, whether it's, it's maybe a shorter race than that, but definitely the transcontinentals are a very big, big achievement and something that I'd love to document. Yeah, it was, it, I, he just like so casually dropped it and I was like, holy cow. <laughs> and now for those, for those who don't know, um, well, there's, there's various transcontinental races, right? But he had specifically done Europe. Yes. Yep. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. And that is, um, my understanding is a point to point race, a couple thousand kilometers, um, yeah. with just, uh, a, a real start and stop. There's, it's not a stage race, correct? It's just, you, you ride straight through to the end. There's, I believe there may have been four or five checkpoints they had to hit. So they would ride mm-hmm. unaided and hit checkpoints along the way so that they followed a certain route but it was it is an a to b a to b race and i i believe i think paul may have said don't quote me on the numbers but it's only about 40 percent of people complete the actual race as as some as most people what they call is scratch where they don't finish and whether that's because they physically can't or they they if their bike breaks you're not allowed to be aided by anyone you have to sort yourself out you have to find your own resources to fix your bike and I know that's that's part of it as well. It's a lot of logistics and 
I feel like that's what it comes down to a lot with cycling is there's lots of logistics that you need to consider and it's not just always about the the fitness side of it too. Mm, mm. I just, I'm trying to think about that from a filmmaking uh, perspective. And I think like you, I, I would be overwhelmed at trying to logistically do it. Um, it seems like for the Festive 500, there was a real advantage in the fact that it was right just paul centrally located and you could roughly plan out what was happening um wow have you put much thought into how you would even go about filming filming a race like that i guess it's it's gonna have to if it's a specific rider that you're following is it's putting in the the time of understanding the routes and that's that's one thing is the routes can change lots of things change people people might stop people might need to have a break or they might have punctures and there's all those logistics. So I guess it's, it's being able to track them in a way and then, and get ahead of them all the time. That, that's, that's part of it. And like I said, that, that's something we really struggled with this, this time around filming was keeping up with, with the riders. I know my friend who was driving Ryan, he, he was constantly jumping back in the car with me and because we, we were driving for eight hours trying to, trying to catch up with these riders. And one, one logistical thing we did plan for the first day of riding, which was quite interesting is, Paul had done a route from from where his home was in the centre, and he did. I believe it was seven legs outwards. So we'd go thirty, forty kilometres outwards, and then back. He'd go out again and back, and that way we managed to sort of keep track of the, where he was heading on on the the tracker that I had on him, and that that helped with the filming definitely. And and being able to get multiple shots in one location is always important to be able to to tell a story really. So you've got the coming towards, you've got the going away, you've got you've got the drone as well. It's is when you're filmmaking and you can plan as I find anyway, you can plan as much as possible, but there's always things that happen on the flyer uh, when you go out and you're in, in the zone with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and this one was filmed. It was, it was um, two of you, right. We're kind of the main two uh, videographers. Is that, is that kind of what composed of your, t- what, what your team was? Uh, so actually for the days that we filmed, so there was the six days riding and then the one day filming, I had only one other videographer, which was my other friend. He's also called Matt. He, he helped me out on the day where we filmed the TT bike and the, uh, his SL seven bike where Matt came and filmed with me. And that was great to have another person, not just from a filming perspective, but just another, another creative eye as well. Um, to be able mm. to think of ideas, shots, run through the footage and, Matt, someone I trust quite a lot with, with those ideas. So, so to be able to to sit down with him and plan our shots for the day was really good. And and Matt got some really great footage with me as well because it's quite often I find when you're, for example, being driven by someone, they might not know what you're thinking as as a filmmaker if they're not quite in that mindset. So when me and Matt were together, if I was driving, I would sort of know what shot I'd want to get so I could position him if I'm driving alongside the riders and and vice versa as well, Matt. Matt was quite good at being able to 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 know what sort of shot I was trying to get in the moment and in the location as well. So that so that was just the one day I had the other videographer, but the rest was fully filmed by myself. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, there's a uh, you're kind of like a like a one man army over there, uh, is what it sounds <laughs> like. Um, now, now I I mentioned that that transcontinental, but but do you have other future or, or other um, future cycling projects or future cycling ambitions that you'd like to eventually ta- tackle or take on? 
I, I'd love to look at maybe trying to document a triathlon. So obviously including the, the swim, the, the run and the, the bike and then the run as, as pairing those three disciplines is something that I think would be really interesting to film and, and to see how to piece them together. Cause it is quite a distinct break with the two, the three different sports. So, so documenting those, and again, they're even more fast paced than, than what I've already filmed is as they're really racing for those. So that's definitely something I'd like to do. And, I have also thought about potentially documenting someone that runs. I'd like to to maybe document someone that's maybe training for a big event, whether it's a marathon or an ultra marathon, and and talk through their process and and see another side of a sport that I really enjoy as well. Um, it's definitely something that I'd like to see. But but cycling too, I'd maybe like to to look at maybe some cycling teams would be really cool to document in the future. Okay. Oh, really cool. With the with with um with triathlons now do you envision following a single rider or sort of documenting the event as a whole i think i think a single rider would be interesting as that that tells a story more so than just the event and other event coverage is something i'd like to do too i think i think that story side of it's something definitely for my own personal work is what i would like to do and and then i can sit down with them and maybe find out about their experiences and are they happy with with what they performance wise and i know a lot of people do all these events and train all year round and and really push themselves so it'd be really nice to be able to dig deep into that and be able to document it as well and now you are a runner yourself correct are you, are you getting ready for a, a big event i'm i'm training a lot at the moment i'm i'm running probably about about 20 30 miles a week and trying to just up my mileage i've not completed a marathon before but i'd like to definitely look at booking one in and maybe potentially ultra marathons as well as so i do like doing quite extreme things sometimes whether with whatever i'm doing so if i book one in that's definitely something i'd like to do and and get involved in because i do like a big challenge like that and I, that's what really motivates me is once once there's something in my eyesight then i can really pinpoint it and train hard you're you're running quite a few miles uh, already without without a specific event kind of down the line though that's that's impressive would you would you ever consider triathlons for yourself as well or, or have you ever have you ever done one uh it's, i've never done one and it's something i've i've spoken about many times as i love running and i love cycling but it's swimming is is my issue i've not my strong point and not something i've done much of but I think there will be a point where I'd love to, and I'd love to be able to say I've done an Ironman. That would be a real, real thing that I'd love to to take part in and, and say that I've completed. But it's getting it's getting the courage to get out there and swim, and it's not something I'm scared of. But it's it's then pairing something I'm not amazing at with two other disciplines, and that's that's the magic of triathlons. It's it's so impressive because you've got to train all three, and the time and the commitment that it takes is amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find across the board, the swim is just everybody is, you know, is uh, anxious or a little bit. That's the that's the event that kind of sticks out in everyone's mind. Uh, so I think you've got yeah. a lot of company uh, in that in that range. Uh, I had the I had the advantage of I grew up uh, in Southern California near the beach. So kind mm-hmm. of we were we were thrown in the water early on. And so when I, I started doing a little a few triathlons recreational recreationally and cool. just having so much experience in the water kind of nullified the the intimidation factor on that end so yeah i got i guess i lucked out um now that's really cool 
Now, yeah, now you've posted a few videos on YouTube in the future. Like how do, how do you see yourself interacting with that platform? Um, yeah. I definitely like to grow my YouTube. I love, I love the idea of being able to release something that's in a specific place. And since putting out the, the two videos that I've done, I've received such great feedback and, and the views are crazy to me to see, to see what they, how far they reach and the different countries. And I love, I love being able to, to be able to share something and get so much feedback from different places. And I think that I would love to make more projects that are just off my own back and my own planning that I can release. And I think that's, what's really important is for the, for those two videos, I have my own creative freedom and that's something I'm big on is being able to just plan something in my own head and then see it come to fruition out on screen. And it may always not go to plan, but it's, it's all those logistics and the learning stages as we go. Cause I feel like even, even the transition from my first video to my second was such a big jump in, in cinematics and ability. And I feel like if I got five, six films down the line off my own back, I, I would really grow my skills that, uh, something that I want to do and take that to be a marketable skill as well and potentially look at brands that want to to bring their skills on and, and tell stories through their brands which would be a dream of mine now is is there a divide I'm trying to I'm I'm kind of almost referencing an earlier episode of myself in which um, I, I talked to you know same thing same thing kind of a, a professional filmmaker um, kind of similar to yourself, but, but he, and then on the side, he uses YouTube to make, um, kind of his passion projects, which are hiking videos. And it's, it was interesting to me to see that I, I just got the sense and I'm, I'm getting a little bit of sense here that there's a little bit of a separation maybe between the professional world and YouTube still is that, am I reading that correctly? Uh, I, w- I would say there probably is, is definitely a separation there. I think a lot of the professional world have started to, to dip their foot into that side of things. And, and I think one thing that's quite important and Rafa as a brand actually do this quite well is they create their own films and they don't really heavily brand them with their, their branding. They, they just tell a story and they put them out there on their channel and it grows the awareness of their brand without even mentioning their brand. And I think that's something that the other brands could really look at and, and think, okay, that's, that's something we should be doing because it's this subliminal messages behind telling a story of whether it's a sport or, or just an activity or a hobby that people enjoy. And the brand is just second to that. And that, that tells, tells more about the brand than anything because they really care about people that actually enjoy their brand and Rafa do that really well. And they have some great films, great, great films on their YouTube and there's definitely a divide, but I think it's, it's starting to merge a little bit more and, and I think that there could be more more of a merge with it, really, especially across brands. Well, in in your case, it's a little tricky, right? Because it sounds like you've cited YouTube gives you if you're posting your own videos on YouTube, you just have complete freedom, which has got to be so appealing. Um, but then again, there's I'm sure there's it's a delicate conversation, um, kind of working with these brands and and kind of their vision and their their strategy. So it's, it seems like it's a, it's potentially a lot to manage and a lot to, a lot to put together. Yeah. I guess there's that side of things. There's when you say, if you were to work with a brand, they would have their vision and it's being able to tell that as well. And that's great because you have 
more people to be able to plan and logistically plan things too. So that that's really helpful. But and I guess for my own projects, what I really have enjoyed is putting in myself in the position of the the planner, the videographer, the editor, the color grader, and and just doing all of those components and just getting more experience and. The, the passion projects are what make me better as a photographer and videographer because I, I've i not done loads and loads of videography and I'm, I'm definitely taking on more now. And I would say photography has been more of my workload, especially over the last year or so than video, but video is definitely picking up and it's something that I want to take take further with with clients. How long does a, does a film like your last one kind of cre- uh, take to make? Well, that, that was a quite quick turnaround. So from, from initial conversations, we, we met up twice. We probably, we chatted for a couple of hours and then we chatted for another couple of hours and then we started filming on the first day. And so six days of filming, seven, seven days of filming and then straight to editing. Once I had all my footage ready, I was editing as fast as I could because I, I was very aware that with things like the Festival 500, it's quite time specific because a lot of people have just completed the challenge. They're, they're really excited that they've done it or they're searching for it. So I wanted to get it out there and to, to the public to be able to view it and get the most views on it. So I edited the film in, I believe we released on the 13th of January and I edited it in about 11 days, which I was pretty happy with considering my editing experience isn't really, really really heavy i haven't had loads of time to learn to edit and it was a lot quicker than my my first film i'll say that but i i put everything into editing as much as i could and we had a few watchbacks where i had paul come to my office and and just see see what he thought and we did some changes and worked our way through it but yeah it was it was all in all probably 20 days and it was done so it was a very quick turnaround Wow, that that seems like a quick turnaround. When I was watching it, I wasn't I I I didn't know if you had filmed it this year or if I was watching footage from last year and then you kind of sat on it and waited to release it. Um you, that's very very impressive to the the turnaround. And I know uh the editing process uh at least for me can take an enormous amount of time. Um is that is that a part of filmmaking that you're that you're not as interested in or hope to spend more time with in the future? I think it's definitely something that I'd like to spend more time with. And I think with experience, you becomes more passion with it. And it's something I, I enjoy doing, but I'm not amazing at it yet. And I definitely prefer the video side, videoing side of it and recording. So I think it's just more experience in editing and, and I'll definitely enjoy it more, but I'm, and I'm starting to as well. And I did really enjoy filming and, and then being able to edit that because there's nothing better than being able to film a vision of something and then put it together yourself and and watch it come to life in front of you. I think I think that's really important, and especially for this film was very important as I had lots of ideas in my head that may or may not have come out, and to be able to test them in post and editing was was great. and And I'd, I'd like to think a lot of those managed to come out in the end, at least. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I could totally see though where your passion very much lies in the video aspect. I did see that one shot. Uh, I think in the film, it's very brief of you uh, with the camera slinged over your back when you're riding, um, and I always know that's a, really a challenge. Um, <laughs> and so I could see where 
where, where you really like being in that environment. Um, yeah. Have you, uh, are so are you thinking through kind of future shots when you're making these cycling films? I mean, um, I don't know if you had, a, did you have a camera mounted to the bike at all during any of this, uh, any of this film? No. So, well, we did have a GoPro that I did film with for a couple of times, but I did decide that actually I wasn't going to use the footage because I've got my main camera that I use. That's my, my Sony camera. And then I've got my drone. And I, I found that when I started pairing the footage from the GoPro to my, to my 5,000 pound Sony camera, there's a big, big difference there in quality. And I'm quite picky when it comes to being a bit of a perfectionist. So I was, I decided I wasn't going to use any of those sort of shots because of the quality and, and the drone speaks for itself. Cause the drone drone's always amazing when you get it up there and you get it in a, in a beautiful place, like we were, we shot and, and to be able to then pair those, that was great. So it was only ended up being, uh, those, those two cameras plus my friend Matt's camera on the one day that we used, but mounting on a bike would be something if I could put my main camera on there, that would be very cool. Risky again, but cool. <laughs> risky again and then two wow that's an inter- that's an interesting call out um i see now i've shot some footage on the with the with the newer gopro and i guess i hear you on the quality uh, being a, a little bit less but the i guess i don't know i th- i thought the advantage was it was on a gravel ride and the inbuilt image stabiliz- stabilization yeah. is unbelievable i don't know how they do it i would imagine that would be tricky with your camera Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the GoPros are amazing and I love using my GoPro. And I think, I think for me, it was, unless it was the shot that I really, really wanted, I wasn't that happy with it. And I probably didn't experiment with the GoPro as much as I should have done, but I think for what I got and definitely, definitely need to try and use those GoPros to, to really get those, those really nice close shots and, and just, see things that you wouldn't be able to do with a normal camera or a drone or whatever, because the GoPros can go so small and compact. Right. Right. And I just, I always feel like you're less worried about a GoPro, you know, it can, it can toss and tumble and and be okay. So you could, I find that I'm uh, more willing to put it in precarious positions, but Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. yeah, I hear you on that one. Now, now, given the success of this film on YouTube, do you do you have anything in the works? Anything on the horizon? I think I think a lot of people are are wondering like when when or if another film is going to get is going to come out. So nothing currently planned in terms of for my own projects. I've got a lot of client stuff coming up in the next couple of months that I'm going to be working on. So I guess it's finding time in between that because again, for me, this film really fit perfectly with the fact that it was in the holidays and that I had I had time. So as someone that's only, I've only been freelancing for, for a short period now, full time to, to find the time to then fit it in is going to be, be really hard, but I'm definitely going to try and fit something in the next, I'd like to say four months, try and get, get another film out there and get it edited would be be really exciting. Awesome. Well, I cannot wait to see it. Um, Matt, uh, Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been so great to talk to you. Uh, and now if people want to find you, what's the best way to um, uh, to get a hold of you? Yeah, so my Instagram is Stone Visuals UK, and I post a lot on there about, about what I'm up to behind the scenes and things like that. And then I've also got my YouTube, which is also 
stone visuals as well but there's a link of that on my instagram also so those are probably the two best places to find me and if you want to check out the video that'll be on my instagram and on my uh, youtube as well so so check it out on those awesome really cool all right thanks again for coming on thank you very much for having me